to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. This week, our governor provided more guidance for schools and districts as they plan for the beginning of a school year like none other. As families make complex and sometimes heart-wrenching decisions to meet the needs of their children, today we will talk to education leaders about what they are grappling with when it comes to finding and securing the resources necessary to safely open our schools in just one month. Joining us are Patrick Miller, Superintendent of Greene County Schools, Alan Duncan, Vice Chair of the North Carolina State Board of Education, and Mike Lee, Vice Chair of the Durham Public School Board of Education. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. I have been following and admiring your work for over a decade, and I have witnessed your willingness to innovate and do whatever it takes to meet the needs of all students in your schools. Right now, I know budget concerns seem to exacerbate the many complexities facing our schools. What are the primary budget considerations you anticipate for Greene County? There's four or five of those, uh, Mary Ann, and the first I'll talk about are the costs associated uh, with uh, virtual or remote learning. Uh, first of all, in order to do that, you have to have the devices. Uh, and we, of course, have been a one-to-one -one district uh, in grades six through 12 since 2003-2004 school year. Uh, so we're we're a little farther, farther down the road uh, in 612 than some places, uh, but we have realized uh, the gap uh, that the pandemic has shown us. So we have used some of our CARES Act money uh, to expand that one-to-one -one program over the summer down to third grade. Uh, so that's the device piece. Then of course, for uh, children, students whose homes do not have internet, we need to invest in hotspots. We also need to make sure that we have the online uh, curriculum uh, for, the, for the children to use uh, in working in concert with, with our teachers. Uh, another cost uh, challenge, of course, is PPE, the personal protective equipment, masks, gowns, uh, the shields, the hand sanitizer, disinfectant, uh, all the things that we have to have in place uh, to make sure that we significantly stop or slow the spread uh, of the virus. Another concern, uh, particularly in rural areas, is, is the challenges associated with transportation. Everyone has heard uh, the guidance that has come out from North Carolina DHHS and, and DPI regarding the number of students that can safely ride on the bus. That is particularly challenging uh, in rural areas because rural areas often have longer bus routes and they do not have the uh, ability to set up bus routes in tiers. So it's just a one-stop shop, one-time opportunity to get kids uh, to school. And so that is a challenge as well. Another that people may not uh, think about uh, are substitute teachers. Uh, there's going to be, uh, in my opinion, a significant number of teachers who for health reasons or for other reasons are not comfortable returning to the classroom. Uh, and we will need to uh, spend more providing substitute teachers. Uh, and that uh, is one that, uh, a cost that flies under the radar often. But I think the elephant in the room uh, is the ADM piece. Uh, and that is the state provides our budget or our allotments uh, of money based on the number of children that they project that we will serve each year. And that is rectified after 
between the first and second school month, between the 20th and 40th uh, student days. And if we have a significant drop in students who either don't come back or choose to homeschool or choose to leave to go uh, to a, another school of choice, uh, then that significantly affects uh, the budget of the public schools. Just as an example, in Greene County, we have around 2,850 kids. If we were to see just a 10% drop, uh, we would lose 2.3 million in state funding in the middle of the school year. Uh, and that's just in state funds. That does not take into account the federal and local funds. So that, that piece to me is the elephant in the room that, that we need to pay attention to and be ready to address very quickly if and when that, that time comes. I so appreciate you laying out so many of these areas and highlighting those that may be different for rural districts. One of the things you mentioned is basic safety. As we listen this week to families as well as teachers, we're hearing so many concerns. In a recent NNC article, you talked about the cost of PPE and safety equipment going as high as $600,000 in Greene County. And then I remember you said, I can't even go beyond that. I wonder if you can provide a little more context so that viewers can understand what it takes to make sure we have safety and how those costs come together. Just our initial uh, order for masks uh, in a district our size uh, cost us about $17,000. Our initial order for hand sanitizer, which we expect to last about three weeks, uh, was just a little over $15,000. Uh, and then you start talking, uh, the state did provide us with uh, two months worth of PPE for our school nurses and those that are gonna be on the front line screening. Uh, we received a thermometer for every uh, 100 kids, so we got 29 thermometers, uh, but we're going to need to purchase some more. And one thing that has actually surprised me is the price of the uh, disposable gowns that the folks are supposed to wear uh, as they're screening the staff and students as they walk in the building. They're almost four dollars a piece and they're only one wear and then you throw them away. So that the challenges associated with the hand sanitizer, the disinfectant, uh, those numbers really add up fast, especially in rural districts where we don't have as, as many uh, funding sources as some of the other uh, larger, more affluent districts have. So uh, we're, we are uh, grateful that we received some money from the state uh, for that, as well as from the federal government. My fear is uh, we're already getting close to spending that money up completely, and we only think we have enough for a month or two. And we, of course, run a 10-month school year, so what next? What kind of action does our state leadership need to take to ensure you have the resources you need to safely open Greene County schools? Of course, the monetary piece uh, is significant. Maybe a, a, some sort of a hold harmless provision for the 2020-2021 school year to help us or ease concerns about the ADM problem, the average daily membership problem that I spoke to uh, earlier. But I, I think another underlying issue that is not unique to schools, uh, but definitely uh, exacerbates some of our challenges uh, when we're trying to learn remotely is the lack of broadband access, and particularly in the rural areas. 
no one would think about buying a house that didn't have access to running water or electricity these days. And in my opinion, uh, broadband uh, is one of those utilities that fits right in uh, there with your water and your electricity. And we need to figure out as a state, nation, somehow uh, a way that we can get broadband access, access number one to every household, and then figure out how to make it affordable to those who, who need some assistance. So we really ran into that uh, and it becomes an equity issue when everybody is uh, relegated to remote learning. And I don't have a crystal ball, but if I did and it worked, I would pretty much almost guarantee that there will be some times this year uh, that we will be uh, learning remotely. Uh, and that broadband access uh, issue is going to rear its head again. And I, you know, the broadband piece does uh, move across multiple sectors in our society, not just education, it's an economic development issue. Uh, it's, it covers, as I said, a lot of sectors of our society. So that, that is an issue. It's not going to be corrected overnight, uh, but it, we've got to start somewhere or we'll never get uh, to where we are. If you look at today, electricity and water, nobody gives it a thought, but we, we've got to get started. And we started with those uh, utilities at some point in the past, got to do the same type thing. Uh, to ensure broadband access to, to every citizen. I really appreciate you raising that, as I believe about 200,000 households that have students living in them do not have access to the internet. And as you said, it crosses socioeconomic and other factors as well. You've showed us so many different aspects of our budget concerns, but also just the complexity of the work you're doing. Once again, I'm so grateful for you sharing your thoughtful approach. We're thinking of you as you move forward to do what is best for your students, staff, and families. Thank you. After the break, we will hear from the State Board of Education as well as the Durham Public Schools Board of Education. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. joined by Alan Duncan, the Vice Chair of the North Carolina State Board of Education, and Mike Lee, the Vice Chair of the Durham Public School Board of Education, both who are in the thick of leading schools through this pandemic. While school districts in the state have been preparing for multiple options for school opening, this certainly brought some more clarity to where we will begin based on Governor Cooper's announcement. Would you both share your thoughts on how the announcement shifted your work or any other specific ramifications for planning? Alan, would you go first? Well, I think our planning has been for A, B, and C, and that's probably good. Option B combines as a hybrid, combines both remote learning and instructional classroom learning, both bring unique challenges. So. Uh, if we're in A, we would need to have the instructional challenges addressed. If we were in C, we would need to have the remote challenges addressed, and we're in fact in both. So I think our planning has been to work hard on getting ready for both, and those efforts will continue, and they will be significant, as you as you know. Thank you so much. Mike, what about you in Durham? 
Well, um, I think the announcement actually allowed us to have clarity and how do we move forward. So over the last few months, all of our all of the districts have been, you know, trying to figure out what are the options that we have and um, and so, you know, the plan A, B, and C were all all kind of being uh, teased out and trying to figure out how do we work this? What happens if we do this? What happens if we do that? However, uh, Durham, a little while ago, started to move forward on the path of plan B. But it was always the question of what if the governor says to do all in person or all uh, online? Uh, but we wanted to continue forward with that plan just so we could get the logistics down. Now that the governor has made this announcement, it allows us that freedom to continue to evaluate plan B, you know, partially in, in person and partially online, but also it allows us to um, entertain the option of all online. You know, he, he specifically pointed that out. So now we have these options and now we can actually start to really investigate what the logistics would be for, for all of the options, but also uh, really focusing on plan B and plan C. Thank you so much. Um, Alan, I know from the state level, you've been working to support districts and also identify funding streams for our schools as they deal with this broad range of challenges. Will you please describe the most pressing needs that you're seeing in terms of budgets in the coming months? That's a long list, as you know, um, but we have focused uh, significantly from a state level on certain issues. Uh, one of them has been child nutrition. We have put an emphasis on making sure that our children are taken care of and fed, and this pandemic has become extraordinarily important. Uh, we are acutely aware of the loss of learning that's going on, so a Jumpstart program has been started and authorized exactly how it will be carried out under option B is, is going to be not exactly how you would ideally like it, but we will certainly plan, plan on helping students with that. I, I would say taking a broader vision, uh, if you will, I think the key areas are uh, exceptional children, we need a significant investment, they've had severe losses, our, uh, what, what I'll often, are often referred to as our Leandro children, our most socially economic impacted students throughout the state, uh, have had significant losses created by this pandemic. And, and even with option B, there still may be continuing loss. So we have a real emphasis on uh, on getting funding in ways that will assist and aid those students. And part of that includes better distance learning uh, 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 devices and connectivity. If looking at local budgets, very concerned about PPE's effect on the budget, very concerned about the child nutrition budget as we go through this year transportation budget and the substitute teacher budget, which I'm not sure everyone thinks of right away, but I think that's something to be very concerned about. There are other concerns, but that's a quick list of things that are very top of mind, very significant, and the dollar amounts involved are very significant. And I, I we so appreciate that you're thinking about all those things because it's exactly what we're hearing about from districts, but in different ways and in different places, so thank you. Um, Mike, I wonder if you could just share a little bit about the budget challenge you've identified specifically for Durham. Well, yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously with the, with the onset of COVID-19, it's going to restrict what a county can do for a school district and, and even their other priorities as well. So, you know, our, our budget asks, you know, were initially approved, but I believe that's going to end up going down a little bit. However, our specific um, uh, budget issues 
that, you know, we're trying to figure out how to deal with and things that may cost a little bit more if you're looking at, you know, extra duty for some of our teachers and our, our coaches who have CDL licenses and may be able to pitch in with bus, you know, bus driving, you know, fuel, you know, trying to do extra routes if we have to uh, get, you know, students to different schools. And I'll just step back just for a moment. Our plan B includes all of our high schoolers being online, but all the, then our K through eight all being in school. So we can use the high school buildings to stretch out, you know, for social distancing. And so those extra routes that the, the high school buses that would typically take high schoolers, we use those for elementary schools. You have to stretch those routes a little bit for, uh, further. So you have those um, those fuel costs as well, you know, increase in contracted services for cleaning, you know, purchasing equipment, you know, le electrostatic di disinfectant sprayers, th things like that, that are going to have to happen in order for us to open the school building and keep our students, staff, and faculty uh, safe. Those are the types of things that are going to continue to add up as well. It, it, in the, at the same time, we're taxed revenues for the county are decreasing so we have to find that somewhere it's going to be a crunch yes and i know this concern over unstable and potentially unpredictable budgets has emerged from schools and districts but also charter schools and families are making decisions in different ways than we've ever heard before are you all concerned about this and are there opportunities for the state to ensure that districts have the funding they need and expect um alan uh, yes, we are all very concerned about that because the needs and the resources are substantial. Uh, I think we will uh, ask uh, and, and make the case for with the legislature that uh, the, the actual costs of education, either in A, B, or C during a pandemic, are in excess of what we normally deal with. And we, I think we need to make that case effectively uh, in order to get as much funding as we can. Every penny will be put to good use and we need to restore or maintain, if you will, the health of the districts from a financial standpoint, because someday we will emerge from this, but we need to emerge in a way that's financially sound for our districts as we go forward to do the, the good work that needs to be done with our students, which will be a lot of work at that point. It will, and you all have helped outline that. Mike, what do, what do you think? Um, when we're talking about um, the options that we have as far as online, um, um, as well, like I mentioned before, we have our, our high schoolers online, but we're also offering an online academy where if parents are not feeling safe to come in the buildings, they can actually sign up for, their, for our Ignite Academy, which is a school, it'll be a school, but run by DPS, it's online only. And in January, you, can have, you have the option to go back into your school if, if the situation oh. changes, or you can continue on the uh, uh, online academy as well. So we have those options. We're trying to create those options to keep, keep everyone safe. And that's just another uh, item uh, that we have to consider as far as budgetary. We have a complete online learning system. We have uh, the curriculum is gonna be in parallel with what's happening in the school. And in some cases, the same teachers that are teaching that particular class in, in school is gonna be teaching your child. So you go right back into the classroom when you need. I appreciate all that so much. Um, in our last few uh, seconds here, I would love to ask both of you if you have advice for district and school leaders with all the work you're doing as they move forward in their planning. Um, Mike, I'll ask you for your advice first very quickly and then Alan. 
Well, my advice just really quickly would be to, to remind everyone, this is not a simple answer. There's no simple answers here. It's going to be hard and there's going to be people upset. What we can do as board members and decision makers is take the best amount of information on both sides and make a decision that we feel that is uh, bet, that best serves our communities. And whatever that decision is, let's go forward and make it as strong as possible. There's going to be people on both sides that either love it or hate it, but we want to make sure we're covering as many people as we can and taking care of as many students, faculty, and staff as we can, and we move forward with that decision. Alan, the final word goes to you. Uh, stay child-centered. Look out for the social, emotional, and educational welfare of our children in every way that we can under most adverse circumstances by showing good leadership and protect and cherish our educational leaders and our educators who are doing this incredible work uh, and with great courage and sacrifice and we give them thanks. Thank you both so much. I have loved talking to you. Can't wait to learn more in the future and I'm thinking of you every day. Thank you. Some may have hoped that this week's news provided by Governor Cooper might have simplified the complexity school districts face as they prepare for the fall and work to provide options for families while keeping students, staff, and families safe. While the governor's statement that schools will operate under Plan B with additional modifications intended to keep students and staff safe certainly provided parameters for our next step, the reality is that our leaders are being asked to make the absolute best possible decision about our upcoming school year within an incredibly complex situation. We all crave getting back to normal and none of the scenarios before us will provide that. As education leaders gather guidance and data to make tangible and very real decisions for students, staff, and families, we again and again see our districts and schools pulling together in an effort to ensure new safe learning environments for our students. As family wrestle with their choices, which at this point include a blended learning environment that includes face-to-face -face and remote learning, or an entirely virtual learning option, many educators are expressing significant concerns about having to return to physical classrooms. We cannot let unstable or unpredictable budgets get in the way of our educators being able to meet the needs of our students and keep themselves and our students safe in the process. We must consider what it takes to provide effective learning opportunities for students in hybrid or remote learning environments. As Patrick Miller, Mike Lee, and Alan Duncan discussed, this includes asking our state leaders to hold districts and schools harmless for their budgets, even if they experience temporary decreases in enrollment due to COVID-19, and ensure districts have the additional funds necessary to provide sufficient protective gear and access to broadband internet as this has become an essential utility for functioning in our world. Access to high-speed internet is now the primary gateway to accessing a sound basic education during this pandemic, and the provision of a sound basic education is our constitutional obligation to every citizen in North Carolina. It is clear to me that there are three key priorities that must be at the forefront in order to safely begin the 2021 school year in North Carolina. Those are the safety of our students, teachers, staff, and families, equity and access to robust, meaningful learning opportunities, and the provision of resources and funding to support fall plans. 
As our guests confirm, there is nothing simple or straightforward about this work, but keeping safety, equity, and resources at the forefront of our planning and decisions is critical to the huge responsibility of caring for our staff, families, and kids as we continue to battle the impacts of COVID-19. That's it for this week's show. Thank you for watching and we'll see you next week.